as we consider these truths of the gospel that we're singing about, uh, we uh, have the privilege today of having an, a gospel preacher uh, with us this morning who will um, open the word and further explain the truths of the gospel from the word of God. Um, Ranjur Locke is the pastor of Brooklyn Baptist Church in Baltimore, not New York. Um, for those of you that don't know, there's a neighborhood called Brooklyn in South Baltimore, um, the very south southern uh, end of the, c the city. So we are a church plant, and Baltimore needs new churches. Uh, Baltimore, Baltimore also needs churches that are here, that have been here for years and years and years, that are older and have gone through some troubles for young life to come into these churches and to revive them and revitalize them. And that's what Ron Jor is doing down in South Baltimore. He's revitalizing uh, Brooklyn Baptist Church, and it really is a privilege to have him with us today. I count him a good friend, and he's a lover of the gospel. Uh, open your Bibles to First Peter. I'm going to read the text for today, and then just going to invite Ranjour to come on up. First Peter, chapter twenty-two, or verse chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-five. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you the word of the Lord. At this time, our children can be dismissed to Sprouts. And uh, if the Sprout leaders could just kind of stick your hand up, kids can go with our Sprout leaders as Ranjour comes. Let's give Ranjour a warm garden welcome. Everybody hear me? I've got a big mouth anyway, so uh doesn't uh, doesn't matter if we're mic'd up or not, right? It's great uh, to be here. Uh, I do consider your pastor a friend of mine. Um, we've only known each other for the last few months, uh, but we've already uh, uh, just been able to enjoy the like-mindedness and uh, and the the joint uh, passion that we have for uh, the Lord Jesus and for the gospel here in Baltimore. Um, I am in uh, Brooklyn, uh, and, and, and I've been there for about a year now, a little bit over a year, um, and our house hasn't been broken into yet, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I consider that a milestone, um, but no, we're over there. Uh, we're having a great time. Uh, God is doing some very, very uh, big things in Brooklyn. Um, if any of y'all are, uh, are down in the area, 
Um, you cross the bridge. Don't stop at Federal Hill. You know, I mean, it's cool, you know, and everything, but, but, but make it over the bridge to, uh, to Brooklyn. Um, and uh, we would love to, uh, to have you over there uh, worship uh, the Lord with us as well. And uh, be praying for us. Uh, we are in a very much a forgotten part of Baltimore, um, a part of the city that, uh, that many people would love to forget. Uh, but there are still people there. And if there are still people there, then there's still a need for somebody to stay and preach the gospel and make disciples. So be praying for me, Annie, our kids. Uh, be praying for our church also, that God would raise up disciples um, among us there at the church. Uh, but not only that, but that God would, uh, would, be, uh, would even find it uh, in, his, uh, in his purposes and in his plan uh, to send more laborers to the field. Um, because we obviously cannot uh, do everything on our own. Uh, we, need some, uh, we need some help. So be praying that God would, uh, would be raising up disciples uh, and that God would be raising up more hands to, uh, to, to, uh, to put onto the plow so that we can uh, reap the harvest that he has for us because the need is there, the opportunity is there uh, to see souls come to Christ and to see their lives grateful, uh, greatly transformed by the power of the cross. Amen? And with that, I'm very glad to be here and to see what God is doing here uh, on this side of town. Uh, we were driving, and uh, it, was, it was pretty cool uh, driving by and, and showing the kids, you know, hey, boys, check this out. That, that's where the Ravens play. And, uh, and, and I, I must admit that my younger of, of my two boys, uh, Noah, said, uh, could we go there? To which I said, well, you can go there, but you'll be all by yourself because the Ravens aren't playing. Um, but, you know, that's, that's typical of my son Noah. He, he, he would rather see the Ravens than, than hear Daddy preach. And, and I, if you notice that uh, when, when you said it was time for kids to go, he got up pretty quickly and got out of here. So be praying for my son with, with, uh, with, with support like that, you know. Um, but it's good to be here. It's good to see what God is doing uh, in this area. And I have been praying for you over the last few weeks, that God would continue to use you and equip you so that when you leave from this place, you may go ready to make disciples and ready to see this area transformed uh, for the sake of the name of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, as you've already heard, uh, we are in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so since Joel has read it, let me pray. And then we're going to dive right in. All right, let's pray. Father, we have sung praises to you. We've even cried out to you. We've confessed our sins. You have made us ready for the hearing of your word. Father, I know that when we came in this morning, uh, many of us came in with, uh, with minds and hearts distracted. Perhaps some of us were uh, conflicted over what we were going to wear. Perhaps some of us were conflicted in the car ride. Perhaps there's some of us that are more concerned about what's going to happen after church. Where are we going to eat? Or 
Maybe it's been a long week and we're just here to do what we need to do and then we can go home and get that nap that has escaped us for most of the week. There's so many things, Father, to distract us from what is actually going on in this moment. And I would pray, Lord, that you, by your mercy, would just sweep them all away. Help us, Lord, to focus on you. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal your purposes to us? For, Lord, in a very real way, if you don't speak to us, we're lost. If you don't reveal yourself to us, Father, we remain in the dark. So, Father, we pray that you would turn the lights on, that we may see you in all of your splendor and radiance, that we may see ourselves as we really are, that we may see this world as it really is, and that we would leave from here equipped to be lights in this dark, dark world. Father, would you work through me? Lord, you know my imperfections. You know my frailties. Lord, you know that I am not worthy. But would you, Lord, use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? That I or no one else may boast in ourselves, but let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that you would show yourself in your great splendor through the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you saw the four locked children that were right over here. Um, you could not possibly uh, uh, mistake them for being anyone else's kids but ours for a couple reasons. Uh, one, they all look like us. Some of you have even noticed that. Uh, you see my son Joshua, and I've heard more and more as he gets older and older, he looks just like you. To which I say, is that a compliment or a <laughs> what, is, what is that? I, I, I hope that's a good thing that he looks like me. Um, in my mind, I think that's the greatest thing you could ever hope for, that he looks like me. So uh, that's my son Joshua. My, my other son Noah, you could tell, he, he has kind of features of me, features of my wife Annie. Uh, Micaiah, Naomi, uh, thankfully, don't look that much like daddy. They look much more like mommy. Uh, which is good because hopefully that means come around 12 or 13, they're not sporting goatees or anything like that. Um, I would love them anyways. I would love them anyways. But I'll be kissing them on the cheek and maybe not be going right in for the, uh, you know, that's, that's just little things with daddy there. But there are other reasons why you know that they look just like, or that they are my kids. Um, they act just like us. Uh, you know, they do certain things, certain mannerisms that are just like us. I remember Joshua, my firstborn, when he was, uh, when he was just a little baby. And he would be looking at something, and when he, when he wants to concentrate, he just kind of frowns, you know, kind of frowns his eyebrows like that. He just kind of does like that. And, and, of course, everyone who saw that looked at me and said, my goodness, if that is not you, oh my goodness. Because I do the same thing. Whenever I concentrate, I look like I'm on a mission or something. I just 
kind of frown my face like that, you know, what's going on? I'm just trying to figure this out, you know, and he does this exact same thing. Or, or Noah, when Noah is, uh, is, 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 because he's the goof troop of the family. Um, when Noah tries to, uh, when he, when he, when he has a joke, and, and it's really funny because he knows he's funny, but he's waiting for you to figure out how funny he is, okay? <laughs> and, and, and so he'll say something, and he'll just kind of go, like that. And, and I know that's, I do the same thing. That's, that's me, you know. I, I, I say something funny and I just kind of stop, make sure everybody knows, you know, wait for it, wait for it. And then they all kind of laugh and I'm just like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I, I said that. <laughs> you know, it's those little things that they do that are just, that are just like us. You know, some of y'all I know have kids, and, and, and you're already starting to figure those things out. You're starting to see, you know, yeah, you know, they, 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 they act just like me. Well, how do we know that we are children of God? I mean, do we, do we look like him? I mean, you know, you look around. We, we don't all look alike. That's a good thing. Yeah, we don't all look alike, but, but yet people recognize us as children of God. Is it because we dress alike? No. Again, look around. We don't, look, 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 turn your head and look around, yeah. We don't all look alike, we don't all dress alike, do we? We don't all come from the same spot. How many of y'all are from, are from Baltimore, you're natives, okay? I grew up in southern Maryland, right around PG County, about the south side of, uh, of PG County, um, you know, so uh, right around uh, Upper Marlboro, Brandywine, over in that, that part of town. That was around the, you know, where I grew up. Where at? Oh, Bouncefield. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we were, that, that's where I grew up. So we didn't all come from the same spot. My wife's from Pennsylvania. You know, don't hold that against her. You know, I know Pennsylvania and Baltimore don't exactly get along, uh, at least at least not in M&T Bank Stadium, but... Uh, but, but don't, don't hold that against her. I've been working on her, you know, giving her, passing her little tracks, you know, putting them in under a pillow, things like that. Um, I, I keep praying for her salvation. But anyways, <laughs> but you know, we, 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 there are all these things that we count as differences, but what is it that, that identifies us as children of God? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said this in John 13. Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. Anybody know what the this was? Yeah, yeah. By this, you will know, by this, they will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. The the DNA that surges through our souls that identifies us as children of God, that identifies that God is our daddy. Love. It's hard, though, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, think about it. Love. Now, I know there may be some folks that may look at that and they say, Roger... It's, it's not as bad as you think. See, I've got this love thing down. I love everybody. Really? 
everybody? Seven billion people on the planet? You, you love all of them? There may be some others that may say, well, well wait, wait. see, I, I figured it out. See, I figured out a way that I can love people, but not like them. See, it, it's, a, it's a cool way of loving. I love people without feeling anything positively about them. In fact, I don't even feel anything negative about them. I don't feel anything. I just love them. Right? So, so you know, I, 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 I figured out this kind of language that, that we do as Christians. You know, we, we see somebody and say, hey, praying for you, bro. We don't pray for that person, do we? We just say it, praying for you. I don't even know his name. And I'm probably going to forget to pray for him by the time I get back in my car. And guess what? That person over there that heard I'm praying for you doesn't even expect me to pray for him. We go through life with this kind of, this kind of Christianese, if you will, where we say, hey, you know, I, I love you, bro. Hey, I love you too. Right back at you. But do we really love? Or are we just passing friendly lies to one another? We say, hey, ma'am, be blessed. But do we really want that person to be blessed? How about this? We say, Oh, man, you know, I, I love that person. That person is just a dear brother in the Lord. Or that person is just a dear sister in Christ. And that's what you say, of course, to the person's face. But then as soon as you leave their presence, you kind of go over, girl, let me tell you. <laughs> Did you see what she was wearing? I mean, oh, my goodness. This is, this is Sunday morning, not, not Saturday night. What in the world? <laughs> and she went out in public, too. What was she thinking? Do we really love? Or, of course, we, you know, we, we do this a little bit more subtly. We, we won't necessarily say it to their faces. We won't necessarily say it behind their backs. We just tweet about it. I won't say it, but I'll put it on Facebook. See the problem? We're shortcutting love. We, we've developed this new, bizarro type of love that says I can love somebody without caring for that person. I can love somebody without having a heart towards that person. I can love somebody, and in all honesty, you know, it, it doesn't even occur to me if that person is growing in the faith or if that person is, is, is struggling in the faith. It doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus said love, and I, I did something that kind of resembles that love, and so I can check that box. So I can pat myself on the back. Good Christian boy. Good Christian girl. But has the world really seen a witness and a testimony for the gospel of Christ? 
You know, it's funny that when the world sees that kind of fake, uh, bizarro love, they know pretty instinctively that it's fake. You ever notice that? I'm sure you've heard when you've talked to somebody and tried to invite them here to the garden and, and you said, hey, you know, why don't you come on o- over here? Ah, nah, I, 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 don't, I don't do that. Well, why not? Well, you know, it's just this church stuff, Christian stuff, you know. It just seems all fake to me. I mean, look on the news. You see these pastors that, they, they, you know, they talk and talk and talk about, about morality and all of this, and then you find out that they're embezzling funds. Or you find out about these pastors that talk about strong manhood and we need more men in the home and all of that, and they're secretly, you know, molesting kids. Why should I come over here to your church and hear all this stuff about gospel, Christ dying, rising from the dead, yada, yada, yada. And then they go home and live the exact same lives that everybody else lives. Why should I care if they don't care? Do you see why it's so important to love? Do you see how, how crucial this is to our witness? By this they will know that you are my disciples. When you love one another. It's interesting because as I read here uh, with Peter, <laughs> Peter doesn't take much patience. He doesn't have much patience for the love but don't like type of uh, dichotomy. He, he's not a big fan of that. I can tell that because of what he says in verse 22 here in 1 Peter 1. Look at the command there right at the end. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That sounds like a whole lot of like there. Does it to you? Love one another earnestly. Earnestly means, uh, the idea behind the the word there uh, in in the Greek text, the New Testament was written in Greek primarily. When Peter's writing this here, the word he uses for earnestly it carries the idea of, 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 of taking it to the distance. You're, you're going the distance in your love. Okay? You're, you're not just loving to get the box checked, but you're loving with an intensity of a passion for one another. And he says to do so from a pure heart. In other words, my love is not fake. I'm not holding back in my love. I'm not giving you a certain type of love, lip service, if you will, but my heart is saying something differently. No, my heart is is, is connected here with my words and saying, I wholeheartedly, intensely, passionately, fervently love you. Peter says that's the kind of love that should characterize the garden. Look around again. Hey, you're doing it this time. Good. (laughs) Do you love the person you're looking at? Do you love him like this? 
Can you say that your uh, time here at the garden has been characterized by this intense love for one another? And just in case there are any folks here that are kind of iffy about intense love, um, (laughs) notice he did say from a pure heart. That is possible. It is possible to have an intense, pure love. Okay? Intense does not always mean 50 shades of gray. All right? That's what we would call a hijacking of, of, this, of this idea of love. I can deeply, passionately love somebody. I can deeply, passionately love a brother in Christ. And not have any type of funny stuff going on. And I can deeply, passionately love a sister in Christ and my wife not feel threatened. See? That's where Christ wants us to be. Where we spend time thinking about one another. And we spend time praying for one another. Intensely praying for one another. And we spend time encouraging one another. Crying with one another. Battling with one another. That's where he wants us to be. You know, I was reading a book by a, um, a guy down in D.C. His name's Jonathan Lehman. The book's called uh, uh, Church Membership. And in the book, he gives this kind of checklist, if you will, of, of, of some indicators to know whether we as Christians are really living as closely together as we should be. Let me just go through a couple of these and and, and you, know, you kind of think in your head if this, is, uh, if this is true of you or not. He says this. Here are some of the symptoms of our wrong thinking of how to, do tr- uh, how to do church together. Christians can think it's fine to attend a church indefinitely without joining. Really loving one another. Christians think of getting baptized apart from joining. Christians take the Lord's Supper without joining. Christians view the Lord's Supper as their own private, mystical experience for Christians and not as an activity for church members who are incorporated into body life together. Christians don't integrate their Monday to Saturday lives with the lives of other saints. In other words, the only time you see your church members are right now. The next time you see him is right about this time next week. You don't think about spending time with each other tomorrow or Thursday. Okay? Christians assume they can make a perpetual habit of being absent from the church's gathering a few Sundays a month or more. Christians make major life decisions, moving, accepting a promotion, choosing a spouse, etc., without considering the effects of those decisions on the family of relationships in the church or without consulting the wisdom of the church's pastors and other members. Christians buy homes or rent apartments with scant regard for how factors such as distance and cost will affect their abilities to serve their church. 
you do realize if you get a house that has a higher mortgage than what you're paying for rent or what you're currently paying for your mortgage, that affects the giving that you're able to give to the church. And many of us go through life without even thinking about those types of things. Christians don't realize that they're partly responsible for both the spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of other members of their church, even members they have not met. So, when one mourns, one mourns by himself. And when one rejoices, one rejoices by herself. The problem, I think, is that we don't love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we make choices and we live our lives completely disconnected from the other people that are here. We think of church as being a part of our lives instead of thinking of our lives as a part of the church. Now do you start to see how hard it is? Or <laughs> starting to feel my pain as I'm reading this and I'm going, uh, Lord, I, I don't know if this is possible. How, how do I have this type of intensity in my love for one another for my fellow brothers and sisters in my church. And not only that, but, but to actually have it and then to have it sustained through the, all of my days. Lord, how am I supposed to do that? How is that supposed to happen? Which is why we have, if you can understand, why there's some folks that say, well, then maybe our understanding of love is just wrong. Maybe it's not supposed to be so intense, and so we just kind of downgrade it to love but don't like. That's manageable. I can do things for people and not like them. I do it all the time. <laughs> but that's not the kind of love that God is calling for. So then how are we Christians going to have this kind of love? How is it possible for us to have this kind of love for one another? Is it possible for us to have this kind of love for one another? Well, Luke gives, or Luke, Peter, I'm preaching Luke at, at, at Brooklyn, that's why I said Luke. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm going right back to it next week, so I've, I've got Luke on, on my mind. Um, Peter uh, gives two reasons here, okay? Two reasons. I'm just going to show you right here. Verse 22, reason number one, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. In other words, you purified yourself for this purpose. Reason number two, uh, you see in verse 23 and following, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers, flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Reason number one, you were purified to love one another. And reason number two, you have been born again to love one another. Okay, so we're going to just look at those two reasons, and and then we're going to go love one another, okay? Lord willing. Let's see, reason number one. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. 
think purified, you think cleansing, things like that. There are some folks that looked at that and they said, well, that's talking about baptism, sort of the, the ritual cleansing for the believers. But, but that's not really what he's talking about. He doesn't say having purified your souls by baptism. He says having purified your souls by what? By your obedience, by your obedience to the truth. What's he talking about there? Does that just mean, well, you know, if I just do the right things, then I'll be clean? No. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, and notice in verse 7. He just got done talking about the fact that we, have, uh, we are, are, are um, um, coming over to the Lord like living stones, and God's building us together to a spiritual house and all of that. Verse 7, he says this, So the honor, this honor of becoming a spiritual house unto the Lord, being built together as a church, this honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Look at the end of verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the word as they, were in, as they were destined to do. So note the connection here. They disobey the word at the end of verse 8 and verse 7 for those who do not believe. Okay? So I take that to mean those who do not believe are those who disobey the word. So on the other side then, here in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, well, if disobedience to the word is unbelief, then obedience to the word would be what? Belief. And so he's saying here that you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth. That is, you've purified your souls by coming to faith in Christ. Okay? When you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you got clean. You were cleaned up. I know there's some uh, that may be here today who, you know, you think cleaned up and, and you think drugs or, or, or something that was going on, maybe alcohol abuse or things like that that was going on perhaps in your own past. You know you had to go through a process to get all of that out of your system, number one. But not only that, but to get to a point where, 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 you, where you were saying no to the things that had, had, had held you. No to those vices that were in your life. And you're saying yes to something greater. Well, that's exactly what happened to all of us who come to faith in the Lord Jesus. When we come to faith in Christ, we're saying no to the sin. And we're saying yes to Christ. Somewhere down the line, somebody told you some good news. <laughs> they had to tell you the bad news first. Bad news is you're screwed up. In a nutshell. Um, the bad news is you're, you're lost. Uh, the bad news is you're in darkness. The bad news is your worst problem is not outside of you, but inside of you. Your worst enemy is you. And to make matters worse, because you have turned away in your, dis in your disobedience and in your unbelief, because you have turned away from the holy, righteous God who rules and reigns forever, you must therefore suffer the punishment of rebellion against this awesomely holy God. And to make matters even worse, He's perfectly holy and perfectly just. 
In other words, you can't sweet talk your way out of it. You can't bribe him. He doesn't, he doesn't do bribes. You can't, you can't do this whole, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and from now on, I'm going to live a good life. The problem is, he doesn't count from now on. He counts from birth. That's the bad news. But hopefully, if that person was caring and loving, they didn't just leave you with the bad news and roll out. Hopefully they gave you some good news. And that good news is the perfectly holy and perfectly just God is also perfectly merciful. And he's provided a way so that you could be acquitted of all of your, of your crimes against him. He's provided his son. And his son came down and said, you know what, God, Father, I know that you, will, uh, that you must, because you're perfectly just, you must punish the evil in this person. But you know what, I'm going to take that punishment and put it upon myself. So that that person doesn't get the punishment that he or she deserves, they get instead your mercy. Drop the charges, because I'll take the sentence. Hopefully they didn't leave it there. Hopefully they went even further and said, take it. Believe it. Because this one who said, I will take your sentence upon myself is also the one who three days after he took that sentence rose again from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father as our great high priest and he's constantly praying for those whom he has saved. So this salvation is sure. Take it. Believe it. And when you hear them say, believe it, and you, by response, believe, you're obeying the truth. See? And when you obey the truth, those of you who have not yet obeyed the truth, the charges are dropped. Your record is cleared. You stand before the holy and just God, forgiven. Even more so, the righteousness of the Savior becomes your righteousness. So not only does he look and he sees the charges drop, but then he looks at you and he sees the perfection of his Son. <laughs> You're clean. Now, having, see, so that's already happened. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, many of us stop there and say, good. So now I can go and do whatever I want, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thanks, God. I needed your help. You came in in the clutch. Thanks. See ya. Is that what he says? No. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for why were you cleaned up why did you obey the truth so that you could keep on living life the way you did before or so that you could live a new way for a sincere brotherly love See, the reason why I'm dirty before God is because I'm a jerk. And I know we just met, but you are too. 
We all are. In the, in the deep recesses of our hearts, we really don't like people. Even the most outgoing people have a limit, right? You know, we love folks. We love to hang out with people and everything, but don't touch my stuff. Why? Well, because it's mine. Don't mess with it. Remember when I was in college and I went into the dorms and you'd be amazed how many folks, you know, they're the most outgoing folks, but they get into the dorms and all of a sudden it's like, my bad. <laughs> I, I, I mean to make you mad like that, you know, don't, you have some folks, I mean, some of the guys, you know, it's like, yeah, don't talk about my, my ravens. Don't. You're a, ste- you're a stealer. Fa- oh, oh. <laughs> I was hoping it didn't have to come to this, but oh wait a second, we were we were just buddies. What what happened? See, everybody's got that limit, and that's what makes us jerks. And that's why God said, I, "I'm going to have to punish you." So when He takes us away from that, when He when He pulls us out of that, when we get cleaned up before God, it's not so that we jump right back into the jerkishness. It's not that we jump right back into the mud. You just got a bath. Stay clean. Okay? Remember, I've got my two boys. It doesn't take much for them to get dirty. Okay? I'm I'm, I'm getting used to that. Maybe I was a little bit like that. Maybe. Little. But, I, you know, it was just one of me. It's two of them. You know, so it's like twice as much dirt and just nastiness and stuff. And, you know, they run all around and everything outside. And then they come on in and dirt tracks all over the floor, you know, and these types of things. And, and, and they're all messy because, you know, they've been rolling all around the place because, you know, boys wrestle, boys wrestle, you know. And so, uh, so that's, that's what we, you know, that we do those types of things. But we get them all cleaned up and all of that. We don't clean them up give them a bath, put on fresh clothes and all of that and say, all right, now go back outside. No, you don't do that, do you? We're inside now. What do we do? We shut the door. We lock it. What? We eliminate the option of them going back out. Why? Because we just clean them up. See? Having been purified, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, not so you go back to being a jerk, lock the door. You live a new way now. I'm able to love. (laughs) I'm able to love fervently. He says here, for a sincere brotherly love. Sincere brotherly. Uh, the word behind that, I think you'll appreciate this, is the word uh, anupakritas. Does that sound like anything to you? Hypocritas. What does that sound like? <laughs> Sounds like hypocrite, hypocrisy. That's exactly right. Back in those days, the ancient Greeks, they loved theater. Those, are there anybody that's in theater? Any drama or anything like that? Okay. Um, uh, there's one. Okay. Uh, uh, 
you have, you have those two masks, you know, in the old Greek times where they had the two masks. One was a smiley face, one was a frown face. And the hero would wear the smiley face and the, the, the villain would wear the frowny face and all of that. Well, what they do is they, they, when they would put on the mask and they would take on the persona of the character that they were acting out, they were called a hypocritas, a hypocrite. And of course, through time, that word is kind of morphed, right? It's kind of evolved and so on, so that now the word takes on somebody who acts like something that he's not, a hypocrite. See? He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for an unhypocritical, a sincere brotherly love. That's what God is aiming for. That's why you got cleaned up so that you would no longer be fake in your love, but that you would be able to love people earnestly from a pure heart. Wasn't that why you came to Christ? Or did you just come for a quick bath so that you could jump right back out into the mud? Well, the second reason is this, in verse 23, since you have been born again, Okay, first, you see in verse 22, having purified your souls. So this is what we do, what we did in verse 22. Verse 23, since you have been born again. That's something that someone does to us. We don't birth ourselves, do we? You know? Um, any of y'all remember that day when you birthed yourself? You just kind of knocked on the, on the womb there. Mama, we're ready. No, no, you, you, are, you are born. We, we, don't even, we don't even talk that way. We, we talk passively. We, you're born. And so here, since you have been born again, what's he talking about? I, I have birthdays. I don't have second birthdays. I don't have born again days. What's he talking about? Maybe the language is a little unfamiliar for some of you. Well, what that means is this. We as Christians, we understand that we have one life that we've lived, and then we understand that when we came to the Lord Jesus and we trusted in him and we've placed our faith in him and we've, we've now committed our lives to following him, God put a reset button in our lives and he pushed it. There's new life now. Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Galatians 2. So I've been born again. It's not something I do, it's something God does. And notice what he says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Not from, uh, not from perishable seed. I have four children, and uh, we had, actually, my wife was pregnant five times. There was one baby that didn't make it out of the womb. The sad news is, the other four will join that baby. And so will I, and so will Annie. That's what this seed does. It produces life, but temporary life. 
Whenever you hold a baby in your arms, you're holding a baby knowing that this baby is not going to be here for very long. 70 years, 80 years, maybe? 10 years? We don't know. One day, this body will be in a grave. But the seed of new birth is not like the seed of old birth. It is not perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And he goes back into Isaiah 44. All flesh, in verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. That's good. God's Word lasts forever. Question. What does that have to do with loving one another? It's okay to ask questions like that. It's a good point, Peter. What does that have to do with loving one another, earnestly, from a pure heart? Yes, because God loves us, but there's more to it than that. See, if it comes from the seed, see, the reason why uh, uh, human seed, if you will, is perishable seed, is because it comes from perishable people. See? I am a death-bound human being. And I can only produce, reproduce, if you will, death-bound human beings. But this seed here comes from God. And the seed that God produces, if you will, through his word, is everlasting seed, everlasting people. People whose natures don't die but live on forever and ever. That's good. What that means then is this. If the, if the word of God is living and abiding, then the life that the word of God produces is also living and abiding. Which means this new birth that I have is not a temporary birth like the original birth. This second birth, this new birth, this born-again birth, is an everlasting, eternal birth. I've been born never to die again. Okay. Now, once again, what does it have to do with love? Well, this new birth that I have also has with it an imperishable and undefiled and unfading inheritance. Look, look up further in chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There's that word again. Born again to a living hope. So notice, we have a uh, living and abiding word of God that has been implanted into us the moment that somebody preached the gospel to us and we heard it and we believed. And, and so now it's producing in us a living hope. So it gives us a living uh, and abiding new birth that produces a living and abiding hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It is under maximum security. Okay? We have an inheritance that will blow this world to pieces. We have an inheritance that is imperishable. 
okay? We, we may have some things that we're waiting for. Grandma may have it, and we're waiting for the day. We're not really waiting for the day, but we know that when the day that grandma dies, we're going to get it, right? Okay? And, and, and we have it, and let's say my, my wife, she got a, uh, her, her grandmother's wedding ring on the, uh, when her grandmother uh, passed away, and, and we got it, and we had to go over to the jewelry store to get it polished up. You know why? Because it fades. Yeah, it has to get cleaned. The inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven doesn't fade. It doesn't need polishing. <laughs> it's imperishable. It doesn't expire. See? It, it's, it's undefiled. It can't be corrupted. And it's under maximum security. And, and just in case you're wondering and you're asking, but what happens if I, if I don't make it? What happens if I screw it up? Here on earth, well, he says in verse 5, who by God's power, talking about us, by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In other words, God's making sure you don't screw it up. So you've got an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and it's, it's over in heaven, reserved for us, and God here on earth is keeping us, making sure that we don't screw it up so that when we leave this earth, we get matched with that inheritance and we will be there in his presence forever. Amen. So what? Guess what? If that's the reality that I have for all of eternity... Why in the world would I take advantage of anybody here on earth? What is it that I could possibly be jealous of that could top what's already secured for me in heaven? <laughs> I mean, what? What, what, could, what is it that I could possibly have here that could top what God has already got reserved for me? for all of eternity. I'm free. God, by his grace, has freed me. My living hope that he talks about here in chapter 1 has freed me so that I don't have to be malicious anymore. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I don't, I don't have to be malicious anymore. I can put it all away. I don't have to be deceitful anymore. I can put it all away. I don't have to be uh, hypocritical anymore. Put it away. I don't have to be envious anymore put it away. I don't have to be slanderous anymore. I can get rid of all of that because God has promised me something eternally more waiting for me here in heaven. I don't have to take advantage of anybody else. I can brush it off when people take advantage of me. What could they possibly do to me that would keep me from getting what's already been secured for me in heaven? Take advantage of me. And guess what? The worst thing that you could do, conceivably, is kill me. And God has completely screwed up the system so that killing me is the best thing that ever happens to me. <laughs> so, so what could you do to me? Sure, we suffer in this world. You read First Peter, you'll hear about the suffering. But does it ever serve as an excuse for me not to love? No. Why? Because you've already gotten your eternal destiny secured by an almighty God. 
Whatever you can do to me cannot loosen me from the grip of my great God. And that frees me to love earnestly from a pure heart. Don't have to take advantage of you anymore. I've been set free from that. I can now love you. I can care for you. You know what else is really amazing about this? This born again here that we have here? That's all of us. If we all believe in the Lord Jesus, if we've come to faith in him, then we all share this same nature. The same seed that birthed me birthed you. So now we share this fellowship that we can't get anywhere else in the world. Do you see how, how Peter's giving us these things and it's just, it's just chipping away at this fake love and replacing it with a, with a free, wholehearted love for one another? I've been purified for it. I've been born again for it. So where are you? Say, Rondra, I, I can't love this way. It's just not me. Read what Peter says. Yes, it is you. <laughs> it's the new you. This is what the Word of God produced when you became a believer in the Lord Jesus. The Word of God produced in you a heart that's now able to love earnestly. You say, but, but you don't understand the people here at the garden. I mean, I won't say it to their faces and all, but... Uh, think about the opportunity that you have to cultivate a different culture. Think about the snowball effect that could start if one person loves earnestly from a pure heart. He says, I'm not going to settle for this typical Christian love that really isn't love or Christian. I want to love this way. Think about the witness that you would have for all the folks here in Upton, Druid Hill, and Bolton Hill, and all these other areas, all the way over to Inner Harbor, maybe even to Brooklyn. Think about the influence that you could have in the city if, if you committed yourself to this type of love. As Lehman said in church membership, think about what it would be like if when somebody was happy, they had a whole church to celebrate with them. Or think about what it would be like if one person suffered some type of tragedy or loss here and they had a whole church to come around them. Think about what it would be like if there was somebody that was struggling in their sin and they could have, say, if there was a guy who's struggling with his sin and he could have a number of brothers here at the church that said, we're not letting you go down like that. We're going to come around you. We're going to pray for you, counsel you, get in your face if we need to. But we're here because we love you. 
And we want to see you stand holy and blameless before God. Think about what it would be like if there were a sister here that were struggling, maybe because she's, she's been taught for years that she was ugly or unattractive or she didn't fit the cover of the magazine or anything like that. And, and they had sisters that came around and said, we love you too much to see you kill yourself, to try to make, uh, try to make yourself and cultivate yourself in the image of this idol that you have on the magazine. I said, we'll come around you, we'll love you, we'll pray with you. We will speak the gospel into you so that you can stand before the Lord holy and blameless. Think about what the world would see when they come in and they see somebody here that's struggling financially. And they can have a church come around them and say, you know what, we're not going to let you follow the, the trail of everybody else, it seems, here in the city. We're going to take care of you. We don't have much. We can't give you much, but we can at least give you what you need. Think about the witness that the world would have when they look and they see Christians who dare to love differently, who dare to love like Jesus. You see, because if there is anyone who loves one another earnestly from a pure heart, it's the Lord Jesus himself. Isn't that what the truth is? Look at verse 25. This word is the good news that was preached to you. So this love that, we're, that, we are, are, that Peter's calling us to have towards one another is love that comes straight from the word itself. The word, of course, being the gospel. The gospel, of course, that talks about Jesus. Jesus who could have said, I love you, but I don't like you. He could have done that. He could have said, I love you, but not like that. But he didn't. He said, I love you, and I'm going to love you earnestly. I'm going to go the distance in my love, so much so that I'm going to take my life and lay it down. Realize he came down here, put on flesh, specifically for the purpose of having that flesh slaughtered for our salvation. He said, I have the ability to lay down my life and to take it up again. Do you honestly think that somebody who had the ability to lay his life down would? Instead, he says, I have the ability to lay down my life and I'm going to because that's what shepherds do for sheep. They lay down their lives for the sheep. That's what lovers do for the ones that they love. They lay down their lives for the one that they love. That's what, what kings do for their people when they go to battle. They say, I'm willing to lay down my life for my people. That's what Jesus has done for his own. He said, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And I lay down my life for you so that you would take that same intense wholehearted, pure-hearted love and, and, and share it with the person that is next to you, the person that has come into a covenant relationship with you in your church. We are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart because Jesus loves us earnestly with a pure heart. And he, by his great work on the cross and on his resurrection from the grave, he has now given us a truth, a word, a message called the gospel that now has been implanted into your hearts and cultivates in you a love that you can share with other people, the very love of Jesus Christ. 
And it's by that love that the world will know that you are his disciples. Let's pray. Father, you have done something amazing among us. And we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to love this way, left to our own resources. It would be impossible for us to love this way without the the life-giving truth of your word. Without the, the, the new birth creating power of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus and for his great love. And we thank you for the opportunity to love one another in such a way as to show that Jesus loves them too. So Father, would you do an amazing work among us here at the garden? Would you do an amazing work among all of the churches here in Baltimore? That the world may look and see that there's something different about these Christians. They love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There may be some here that you've heard this and maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't heard it before, but you've never loved anyone earnestly like this simply because you can't. You don't have the power of Christ in you because you have never obeyed the truth. The truth says that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins and has risen from the dead. The truth is, if you come to faith in the Lord Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. The truth is, if you believe in Jesus, you will be abled and freed cleaned up so that you could love one another. Now is the time for you to obey the truth. It's not a matter of options. It's a matter of obedience. You have been commanded to believe in the Lord Jesus. Pastor Joel comes up. May you believe in the Lord Jesus. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. But don't leave here in disobedience. 